Hey friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you tired of skyrocketing healthcare costs for your church? I know this is a time of year where many of us are looking at the renewal, that whole process. It's coming with rate increases and changes to insurance laws. Do you see your monthly group bill and cringe how many dollars could be going towards kingdom work rather than insurance? Are you finding yourself stuck between taking care of your staff and using God's resources to further his mission. Take control of your healthcare budget with Remodel Health innovative solution for benefits. Listen, love these guys. Remodel Health works with churches like yours all across the country to better steward their resources, to better serve their staff using a more affordable individual healthcare model. Their team wants to help walk you through this whole thing. They want to walk alongside you and your staff to help navigate the complex healthcare world and provide a benefit solution that your team will love and more importantly, or as important, uh, will also free up resources. They've seen churches save as much as $100,000 annually in healthcare costs. Imagine what you could do putting those kind of resources back into the ministry. Listen, go to remodelhealth.com forward slash unseminary to learn more and to download their free buyer's guide for church health insurance today. Listen, that's remodelhealth.com forward slash unseminary to learn more, to download this great free buyer's guide. Thanks so much, friends. Let's go. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you decided to tune in today. You are going to be rewarded for that. We've got Bruce Miller with us. He's a senior pastor of Christ Fellowship a Church in Texas. So glad to have have them multiple uh, campus church. He's multiple time author. And we're talking about a book today that I want to make sure you get in your hands and that you learn about. Because I really think this is one of those areas that that all of us really, frankly, are wrestling through and trying to think about what comes next. So Bruce, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rich. So delighted to be here, man. I'm honored you asked me to be on. Thanks. Yeah. No, honored that you would take some time out from your busy schedule to be with us. Why don't we start with kind of telling us a little bit about Christ Fellowship? Like if, tell us about the history, tell us a little yeah. bit about if people were to come this weekend, that sort of thing, what would people experience? Man, God gave me the grace, the privilege of being the founding pastor 22 years ago and mm-hmm. non-denominational contemporary church really focused on reaching people. It's diverse. So if you came on Sunday, you would see a quite a right, wide variety of people. And we are focused on being three things that kind of don't always go together, theologically rich, spiritually passionate, and liturgically informed. Mm. Hmm. Well, unpack that a little bit. Give me this. Uh, I love that. Those are great kind of uh, hooks, but kind of t- yeah, tell so, me about each of those a little bit. So uh, I'm a pastor theologian, taught, taught systematic theology. That kind of flows out of me. But mm-hmm. then we really believe the Holy Spirit's alive today and moving in powerful ways and that our worship needs to reflect that and be demonstrative and, and believing that God is doing miracles today and, and we're seeing them. And then we, we know we didn't just pop into existence 25 years ago, 22 years ago. Church has got a 2,000-year history that we want to draw on and be informed by. Uh, and then we think that brings unity across denominations. So, for instance, we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week, which mm. is not mm. typical for churches out of sort of our stream of evangelicalism. It's more like a monthly or quarterly expression. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, and yet we're not a high church. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. That's cool. I love that. That's so, so great. I think this is the kind of church you, you'd love to plug into and listen and, and participate with if you're you know listening in. It'd be a great church for you to follow along with. Well, I, I'd love to kind of dive into your book here. So sure. uh, you've written a book called Leading a Church in a Time of Sexual Questioning, Grace-Filled Wisdom and for Day-to-Day Ministry. Um, you know, I know I feel like we live in this in-between time. It's like we've left someplace and we're on our way to somewhere else. I'm not sure what all that <laughs> means, but in this particular area, it, it is a, um, you know, I think an, an area where we are, we are all struggling, but why don't you tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book? What was it that drove you to say, Hey, I'd like to put my stake in the ground on that. Um, so let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. I've sort of been reluctant pulling into this actually. Um, <laughs> my, my wife says, Bruce, do you have to be the sexpert? Like really? And I said, <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't want to be, but yeah, several years ago, I started really researching this, being brought into it. There's some personal issues with me and my family and, and dynamics in my extended family. Uh, my brother's married to his partner. But mm-hmm. also, I just encountered uh, dear people who felt rejected by the church, who rejected by Christian people, and just so much sadness and so much um, really rejection that I realized, guys, mm-hmm. we have got to own up to our responsibility and reach out in ways we have not reached out. Mm. Hmm. Now, how, when you think about, um, so the thing that struck me about your book was you seem very open-handed, uh, grace-filled, while at the same time, you know, holding to scripture. Um, how are you working that out in your, either in the book or at, at your church? How are you able to, you know, to live that out? Like you say, in a time of, of sexual questioning, it seems like the culture is pushing us to either ends of the extreme, uh, you know, on these issues. It's like we're, we're being pushed to the, to the fringes. Uh, but you seem to be striking an interesting third balance. Um, tell me more about that. Yeah. I, I, and that's a real challenge because then you get attacked from both sides, which probably is the right thing. <laughs> Um, yes, right, totally. Yeah, to be in that in that space where Jesus, it seems like you either want to be a church of grace or a church of truth. You go, wait a minute, are those really in conflict? Like, didn't Jesus right. come, John 1, full of grace and truth? And so mm-hmm. I think trying, the idea that you have to balance grace and truth is off base to start with. Mm-hmm. We need to be full of grace and full of truth, that really truth is gracious and grace speaks truth. And I believe mm. grace and truth come together in love. And mm-hmm. so the body of Christ needs to more fully follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. We are his body after all. And you look at Jesus and he hung out with, quote unquote, notorious sinners and was accused mm. of being a friend of sinners. And it seemed like that sinful people were attracted to him like a magnet. And could mm. you imagine if sinners, quote unquote, the notorious sinners of our day, people who have felt rejected, including the LGBT community, felt drawn to churches like a magnet, like mm-hmm. we're drawn to, would that be amazing? That would be amazing. And, and how, how is it that you're, um, well, I guess maybe we'll start with how do you think about this in a way that actually would prepare your church to be the kind of church that folks kind of regardless of their sexual orientation would be drawn to, would actually say, hey, I'd like to be a part of, of this community, or I'd like to explore um, you know, what it means to follow Jesus and aren't kind of turned away at the door. I think all of us, everybody who's listening in, 
um, I would assume, wants to be the kind of church where people, regardless of, you know, kind of their background, can take some steps in initially into our churches. But it seems like we stumble so many times. Like we just, even just kind of in the way we present ourselves, we, you know, find ourselves at odds with the kind of broader culture. How is it that, how can we do that as a church? Or what are some ways that you think about that to help us, uh, you know, wrestle with that issue? You know, I, I sometimes go back to stories of Jesus with sexual sinners, and there's three encounters he had that are worth unpacking. Um, John chapter four, woman at the well, five husbands, many you're with now is not your husband. John eight, I know it's controversial whether it's in the Bible or not, but the woman caught in adultery. And then Luke seven, the sinful woman, probably prostitute washing his feet. But with the woman caught in adultery, I ask people, hey, what did Jesus say to her? And I hear two responses just like quickly right out of people's mouths. One is go and sin no more. The other is, neither do I condemn you. Of course, the answer is he said both. But here's what's instructive. Which did he say first? Which did he say first? Mm. He said, neither do I condemn you. So while we've said we need to be full of grace and truth, in practical pastoral ministry, I believe Jesus modeled that grace comes first. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of us, Mm. we want truth to come first. So I hear people say, is, is, is they hear me give a huge welcome to gay people and open my arms wide. We welcome you here. Please come and bring your friends. Mm-hmm. They say, no, no, wait a minute, Bruce. You, you are going to tell them it's wrong, right? I mean, you're going to tell them it's sin and quit doing it. And yes. I sort of smile. I mean, like you just did. And I laugh and go, well, you know, yes, but that's really not what they're confused about. Mm-hmm. And so I find there's a set of Christians who, who really want to be sure that we're, we're telling people it's wrong, quote unquote. And what I've mm-hmm. said is, hey, you know what? They get that. Like most gay people not only think that Christian people, but even especially evangelical people, believe that same-sex sexuality mm-hmm. is wrong or homosexuality or same-sex activity is wrong. They think Christians hate them and believe what they're doing is mm-hmm. an abomination and wish they didn't exist and don't want them to be around, which is, mm-hmm. of course, a distortion. But that's the, that's the narrative that's out there, and that's what people believe and feel. And so – what they find unbelievable is that you really mm-hmm. welcome them. And when mm-hmm. a group of people have been unwell, have been rejected and are living in a, in a narrative in their media, their, their news feed that is of, of rejection and judgment by churches and Christian people, and you say, hey, you're welcome at my church. They respond mm-hmm. to me, really? <laughs> are you right. Sure, I'm welcome. You know, tell me something. And what the, the what we have practically have to do is extend that welcome much more strongly than we might to the average person. So here's what I think a lot of evangelicals yeah. are not reckoning with is our history with the gay world, the gay community, right. and mm-hmm. and act as if oh, well if we say we're you, you say you're welcome, we say you love you, you should believe that. Well, wait right. a minute, here right. people have been mistreated by right. at least some Christian people. Huh. Yes. Interesting. Take an analogy. Imagine if we're missionaries to a country. Yep. And that country had been bombed by Christians and and and, and brutalized, and then shoot, that's over. And we walk in and say, "Hey, we're Christians, and we want to share." Yeah, Jesus God's loves with you. you. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Wait a minute! Didn't you just bomb us? You know? Right. That's kind so of. So what is that? What does that look like? How do you practically do that at at Christ Fellowship? How and how are you kind of coaching other churches to to think about that? How do you go out of our way, uh, you know, to welcome folks? So I, I think it it really is extending a welcome, and, and you practically speaking, you go to deeper links. So a lesbian couple a couple months ago wrote on our connect card, 
hey, we're so-and-so and so-and-so. Because of our sexual orient- orientation, would we be welcome at this church? And if not, that's fine. We'll find another one. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought, okay, because of all this sensitivities we're talking about, let me go. What what I did is I said, I, don't, I need to know your story. Would you come meet with mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. And they came and met with we, we with their little girl, which I didn't expect. And this nine-year-old girl walked in. And the four of us sat down, and I just said, tell me your story. And it was fascinating to hear their background, their story. And one of the ladies had been in the Marine Corps and gotten married and pregnant, and that's with a little girl. And now they're married. And and they, and they I said, well, we'd love for you to be in our church. And I said, now, I don't want there to be any confusion that there's not like a bait and switch. We believe marriage is between a man and a woman, and all sexual intimacy is reserved for that relationship. But we can mm-hmm. agree to disagree and worship Jesus together and pray we'll all be transformed. And they said, hey, that's fine. We get it. We mm-hmm. just want to be treated like normal people. Could we join a life group? I'm mm-hmm. thinking, love for you to join a life group. Mm-hmm. And how's that life group going to respond? Right. I don't want to just, hey, here's the name of five life groups. Pick one and make a phone call. <laughs> and right, so, right, right. practically speaking, what do you do? So I called a life group leader and explained the situation personally. Mm-hmm suggested he then go meet with his life group mm-hmm. and ask them, hey, guys, what do you think? And would you be, you know, here's the deal. They had like two meetings. And I, I said, you know, what, how about I come meet with your group? So it's mm-hmm. going the extra mile. So I, and I don't, this is not something I would do, you know, normally, but I met with that life group and spent, you know, 30, 45 minutes talking it through. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the normal questions came up. Like someone said, well, how are we going to hold them accountable for their sin? To which someone else retorted. Um, how do we hold each other accountable for our sin? You know, right? We got to right. make a level playing field here. Anyway, the long story short is they all said, "Hey, let's do have them come mm-hmm. after some consideration," and they've come and they're loving it. Hmm. And they're That's all fantastic. But you, but you, I think without taking those steps, that might not happen. Right. So, I, part of what I've loved about what you're you're addressing here is I do think that. Uh, you, you know, even just calling out this idea of a bait and switch, like, hey, we're not trying to hide something. We're not trying to, right. um, you know, kind of put tuck this away, and then eventually we're going to pounce on you. Uh, but actually, you know, being tr- treating people like adults, being you know, uh, a big god enough that, like, hey, we can articulate a difference and still be okay that for us to fellowship together. Um, but understand this is where we're coming from. I can imagine that that conversation doesn't always go super well. In fact, I, I, I've been in conversations like that, that didn't, that sure, they don't sure. go super well. And, and um, there's a misnomer out there I've, on the, on one side where I've heard, Hey, if people know that you have a, a traditional position on marriage, they're not going to come. Uh, some people won't come, but some will come mm-hmm. and maybe more than you mm-hmm. think. Uh, Andrew Marin's research in us versus us is fascinating mm-hmm. saying there are really more people than you might think who would identify as LGBTQ who would come to a church that has a traditional stance. Mm-hmm. And and it's not that sometimes we talk ourselves out of that and say, well, no one's really going to come. Well, there are people who would. And yes, there's conversations that go the other way where I've, I've had conversations where someone said, well, you said you welcome me, but you wouldn't marry me to a, another woman if I find somebody I love. And I say, mm-hmm. no, I wouldn't. And they say, well, then you don't really welcome me. I said, well, you know, actually, I'm saying I would love for you to be here every Sunday. And you, if you get married, you and your spouse can come. And let's all grow together. And it was, right. it was a funny conversation because I said, I think my tent's bigger than your tent. Oh, she, we're good friends. And she said, wait a minute. You know, what are you saying? And yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> she and I are just great friends. She's a, a lesbian lady. We've probably had lunch mm-hmm. 
20 times. Right. It's about building a relationship, building a friendship, you know. Yeah, walking with people, right? Saying, hey, like we're we're on this journey together. The, you know, what would you say to a church leader that's listening in that's that says, hey, you know, we are trying to create um, a place where, again, I, th- I think most of the people that are listening in are trying to create the kind of church you're talking about, which is like, hey, we want to pe- be able to welcome, welcome people in. But let's say we have a you know a young student leader, maybe they're twenty five, something like that, and uh, they come out of the closet. You know, they they say, "Hey, I'm you know I I sure I kind of bought into everything that that we've talked about, but now that's just not the case anymore." Um, how would you help a, a church navigate that dicey situation? That you know that we want to care for this leader. This is a person that's been engaged with us for you know an extended period of time. Um, how how would you help us think about that issue and then pastorally walk through that? And I think some of these questions, there's some principles that apply across the board for this. And and love is at the forefront of all this. And then it's listening. Mm. And another one would be that every situation is unique. So mm-hmm. if you put love first and listen deeply and then realize uniqueness, it's not that you apply some formula. But right. there are principles that can apply. So what I would do is I would listen long and hard to this leader and find out really where he or she is coming from, what the story is. So we really know what we're dealing with, but let's make it harder. And this person has come to a position where they believe that same-sex marriage is fine. And they mm-hmm. might, and they say, I may be looking for someone of my same sex to have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I believe that the, the leaders at a church need to be on the same page. Unity mm-hmm. is so important. Otherwise, it creates chaos and confusion. So mm-hmm. we see all the leaders need to be pulling on the same side of the rope. So mm-hmm. even, for instance, in that couple, with the, in the conversation, that lesbian couple, later in the conversation, I said, look, all of our leaders are on the same page and we'll explain why for unity. So mm-hmm. I said, if ever you guys want to lead a ministry at our church, that really wouldn't work unless we're on the same page here. And I said, well, right. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So with this leader we're talking about who changes their position, after mm-hmm. a time of discernment, listening, talking at length, if we were really on different pages, then I think we'd need to come to the place to say, really, it doesn't make sense to stay in leadership at a church that you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying around taking time, uh, slowing down, listening carefully over an extended period of time. I, I think I've seen a number of the, these kinds of scenarios fall apart at that phase. I think I have been. Um, you know, you get into this. It's it's like, which is understandable. I think you you know we we become very very quickly we're we're not sure what to do. And so then we just react, right? We just, you know, we're just all of a sudden surprised. And so then we jump right to the conclusion, right. um, as opposed to saying, hey, how do I help walk with this person over an extended period of time? I'd say um, for you, like, someone says, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. We do not know what they mean by that. So many people right. make a, yep. a million assumptions the minute someone says, I'm gay. And in my book, I, I tease out five ways we use the word gay and say, look, you got to really think through what does a person mean by that? What, what are they saying? Hmm. Interesting. So uh, in your book, you know, you outline not only kind of here, here's the way we should be thinking about this, but then also, you know, here's some kind of practical steps. You've obviously talked to a lot of church leaders. You've talked to a lot of, um, you know, churches around the country on this particular area. I am sure there is like the kind of go-to, here's the nugget practice that we need to be be living out. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, kind of on the tactical, practical side of the equation, what would your coaching be for us in that area? What would be the kind of thing we should be getting our head around, you know, churches that maybe aren't, um, that want to figure out how to do this in a loving, caring way, uh, but don't know kind of what first steps to say. What would you suggest uh, to the people who are listening in today? 
Yeah, so I build a principle out of a bigger principle, and that one is that people say, "How should we treat LGBTQ people at our church?" And I say, "Like other people, like they're not a special kind of human being. They're human beings, like all of us." Right. And yeah, but how do we treat sinners? Oh, that's right, we are all sinners. Right. So the groundwork that we're all sinners, including us leaders, by the way. And if mm-hmm. I press it further, we're all sexual sinners. I mean, I think every adult past puberty has sexual regrets. I don't think any of us mm-hmm. would say, hey, I'm sexually completely pure. Um, and right. so to lay that groundwork, then out of that, <clears throat> to move to a statement of integrity or justice, which is no double standards. So mm-hmm. when you're looking at membership, you're looking at baptism, you're looking at serving, leadership, whatever your standards are, whatever your requirements are, and then you say, but what about a gay person? I would say I'm not trying to ask that question because are you going to add to your requirements something like, like there's going to be an asterisk for a gay person? Mm-hmm. I would rather mm-hmm. say, okay, what are we saying needs to happen for a person to be baptized? And mm-hmm. by the way, that depends on your theology of baptism and your ecclesiology. And broadly speaking, there's I call them high bar and low bar churches. There's churches mm-hmm. it's just a general way of talking about it without getting into theological language. There's church. Let's say on baptisms. There are uh-huh. churches who say, hey, you need to go through catechism or this course, or you know, we need to be sure you really got to transform life before we baptize you. Uh-huh. There's other people who are looking at Ethiopian eunuch. They're looking at the, the uh-huh. Philippian jailer and saying, man, they just trusted in Christ. They were baptized right. within There's an hour. some water. Let's get They're baptized. Yeah, exactly. Do this thing. Yeah. And so if that's your requirement is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Uh-huh. Well, then are we going to add something different? because a person is, is gay or, or identifies in some way as non-straight. Mm-hmm. So I'd say the principle is no double standard, which is about justice and integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would think most church leaders, it's interesting because I've been in that conversation with, um, you know, with a lot of leaders around that, even that particular issue, baptism. And it is amazing when you just walk through that and say, so, okay, well, why, well, who can get baptized? What is, what is the conversation that we're having there? Um, you know, we don't ask people sexual, sexual orientation. It just isn't like that doesn't, that isn't a part of the conversation. Um, so therefore, if we know someone's sexual orientation and they're saying they're, you know, we, if, if we see baptism as like this initial step, like, Hey, I'm trusting Jesus. Um, I don't have my life all sorted out yet, which is, I think a, a clean reading of <laughs> baptism right, in the New Testament. Right. Um, then therefore, you know, it, it should be the kind of thing that is open, uh, to all. I know when you write a book like this, uh, there's an inner journey that you go on as I can say as an author that you kind of through the process, it's like the Lord draws something out of you and it, 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 you know, you even change or grow through the experience. How did you change and grow through, through writing this book? And then the subsequent, I'm sure getting it out in the world and having, you know, just all the positive responses and all the negative responses, you know, what's he doing in you through this process? I think maybe two things overall, I, I was impressed all over again that love doesn't compromise truth. Mm. Um, and, and I find that when, when you accent love and grace and extend a really warm welcome, I, I, I literally did open my arms wide and say, please come and we welcome you. And I had a, a church member come and say, hey, you welcomed him, Bruce, but like you really welcomed him. And I could tell between lines was like, what if they come? And so I realized, wait a minute, we need to love and that love doesn't compromise truth. And so I'd say, putting it another way, hugs don't compromise theology. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then second to that is that association does not communicate affirmation. Mm-hmm. And, and looking at Jesus, you know, he wasn't ashamed at all to be called a friend of sinners. 
And he wasn't worried that people would think he affirmed the tax collectors or affirmed the prostitutes or affirmed, you know, whoever. He hung out with Zacchaeus and Matthew and all the guys. And I, I wonder, would, are we that willing? And for me, it took me just to another place of, you know what, I'm just not going to really worry about people thinking that I'm somehow affirming something that I'm not. And it gets really practical. Like there's a lady in my church who came up and said, hey, I'm in a Bible study with my neighbor and she's a lesbian. And inside I'm cheering, awesome. And she said, I'm thinking I I might need to stop. I'm thinking, what in the world? I'm scared if I stay in the Bible study, she'll think that I affirm her lifestyle. And I was just, my jaw hit the floor, like, oh my goodness, no. I wish everybody in my church had a Bible study with their neighbor, whoever their neighbor is, and yes. especially if their neighbor's in the LGBT community. Oh my goodness. Right. right. And I think I was ever more just zealous for for love and for realizing we've got to be with lost people. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness, you know? Now, have you found you've received um more we'll call it negative feedback or pushback from folks that are uh, maybe inside the church or or folks that are outside the church as you've kind of been exploring this this whole area you know probably sadly more inside the church i know that doesn't surprise you rich but um man that just seems like as christians we draw lines and start throwing stones so fast and i guess another thing out of this book that uh, i hadn't thought about till you asked this question now is I feel like, really? I think we're all on the same team. Mm. Do, do we really want to draw such fine distinctions and argue over nuances? It's just kind of, it's just sad to me. Like today, inside sort of a circle of a circle, like what, we all believe the Bible, we believe the gospel, we all believe that same-sex marriage is, is not appropriate, but we're going to argue about whether you can call yourself a gay Christian or not. And that's going to become a battleground. And there's those saying you should never call yourself a gay Christian and those saying, hey, I think it can be fine. And my opinion is, hey, this is is, hey, couldn't we agree to disagree on this one <laughs> and, and all join hands and and do what Christ has called us to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, part of what I love about about you and about this book is, you know, I think there are, you know, you come from a theologically robust background and but then the way you're practicing um, your faith and actually just practicing your pastoral care, you're doing it in a way that is prioritizing, um, you know, unity and how do we, you know, try to stay plugged in together. Um, you know, it's almost like we say, like I'm naive enough to think, you know, that actually under Jesus we can all be together, <laughs> and exactly. that is is a um is a controversial it shouldn't be a controversial idea but is a controversial idea right it is a uh it that pushes a lot of buttons i think for you know for folks definitely so yeah i think it just that we're the church is a family and at thanksgiving we have everybody at the table and families have all sorts of people at the table <laughs> right yeah absolutely absolutely now how in your church are you um working out th- these issues say particularly with young people because I, I think this is an area where a lot of folks are you know, we're, you know, we're struggling to think, okay, what are, what are we doing in our student ministries? When I, you know, I, like, I was a, I was a youth pastor many moons ago. Yeah. You would do the sex talk and I, there wasn't even, I didn't even like, it wasn't that I didn't know that there were gay people, but I, it wasn't anywhere near the list of like, oh, I need to have that conversation. It was like, you know, we're talking when we do the sex talk about pretty heterosexual, all the examples were that, um, 
And, but I think now it's such a different animal. It's a different, you know, it's a different piece of the puzzle that we, you know, we find ourselves in a different age. How are you either coaching your student team or, or coaching other people's students team to be thinking about how we help students to have, to reflect on, you know, their sexuality and in light of what scripture has to say? You know, we're finding that we have to do more coaching for our student lay leaders, like a leader who say would lead a small group of guys or girls, middle school, high school, that, that the issues are, are more difficult. So we've got to up our training. And then we are trying to create a climate where students can be open about their sexual struggles. Hey, I'm scared I might be bisexual or mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying this or that on. And then when we communicate and do the sex talk, um, we do talk about this issue and we inform the parents in advance and let them know, hey, here's what's coming. So especially in middle school, they can make some choices about what they do or don't do. And they, they're welcome to come and be part of it. Mm-hmm. We're wanting to create a climate where students can come out, so to speak, or at least share, here's what I'm feeling or stress, struggling with or wrestling with, and to know they'd be accepted here. I did a workshop recently on my book, and a mom, parents came up afterwards, and they said, well, our daughter's name is so-and-so, but she's going by, and they gave a male name. And they said, after this workshop, I realized we can go home and tell our daughter, hey, you're welcome at our church. Our pastor wants mm-hmm. you to be there. Mm-hmm. And for them as a mom and dad, just to be able to say that and signal that, and, and on some practical levels, if people who are wondering about transitioning one way or another mm-hmm. in a transgender kind of a deal as students, we're, our choice is to call them by the name their parents call them. Right. So if the parents are switching the name, then we'll switch the name. Right. And we feel like, you know, as a, as a child or a student, we should go by the parents. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have some bathrooms that can be family bathrooms or ones that anyone could use. And so we encourage them not to switch bathrooms to the guys or the girls, but to use a family mm-hmm. restroom. Yeah, it's very good. I love that. Just some practical help there. And and also just to, just to highlight one thing that you said, which which I do think is so important that I think sometimes we – you know, some student ministry leaders can can get um, it gets fuzzy in their head around. At the end of the day, we're serving at the behest of parents, and and we want to um, really take our cues from them. We should be partnering with them, and this is one of those key areas that we want to work together. And not, you know, not we're not trying to pull the wool over any parents' eyes. We're not trying to, you know, we're trying to follow their cue and obviously work with them where we can and try to develop, you know, really positive relationships with, uh, you know, with parents. Well, is there anything else you'd love to share before uh, we wrap up? Is there any other piece of this puzzle you want to make sure we we get a chance to talk about today? Well, I think I think we will want to be talking to LGBT friends of ours about how do you live holy in as as an honoring before the Lord. And I think sometimes our message it, out of some poor theology is, oh, I'm so sorry, you have to be single and you can't have sex, so uh, you're going to have a rough life. And mm-hmm. what that betrays is a terrible vision for people. Number one, it's a terrible theology of singleness. So one of the things I do is try to rehabilitate a, a more biblical theology of singleness. And then it betrays an overblown view of sexuality as if sex is essential for a good life. And I mm. think we need to do some deeper work on a theology of sexuality to realize, no, it's not really the case that mm-hmm. a life without Jesus is a deficient life, mm-hmm. but you can have a great life without sex. So we've mm-hmm. got to lay some of those foundations, including for our students mm-hmm. and for all the benefits of the purity movement. There's some downsides to say, here's a purity ring. Don't have sex before you're married. And then the wedding marriage night's going to be amazing. 
It's like, well, what are we, what message are we sending there? I mean, there's some good message, but there's a, there's another message implicit there that sex is the big deal that you're waiting for. Right. Right. Just unhealthy. That's good. I, that's a really good insight. That's a, and I see that's obviously a part of the book here. It's part of what we're talking about. So that's a, that's a good insight. I love that. Well, I'd encourage people to pick up a copy again. A book title is Leading a Church in a Time of Sexual uh, Questioning. Uh, I'm assuming you get this book at Amazon. Are there other places we want to send people uh, to pick this up? We'll have links in the show notes, but where else can they uh, pick this yeah, up or where should they Amazon be going? Amazon's the best place. And yeah. or they, I think they, they still sell books. As far as I know, they I, still I've do. I've heard that they're still selling. <laughs> That's fun. Nice. Great. And if people want to follow you or the church, kind of track with your sto- story, what's the best place for them uh, to go on that front? Yeah, you can go to uh, my website is brucebmiller.com, brucebmiller.com. And you, the church's website is CF Home. So you can go to CF Home or brucebmiller.com and you're, you can also okay. click and follow along with newsletters I send out and that kind of thing. Happy to be a help any way that I can. That's great. Bruce, really appreciate you on the show today. Hey, you're most welcome. Happy to be on it. Thanks for inviting me, Rich. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.